0: Zach, you're rich. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> we talk about it all the time in the podcast. You uh, have bags of money. Bags. Cheddar cheese as they as say. As they would say, yeah. Yes. You <laughs> have obtained the grain. <laughs> uh, since you're rich, you eat out all the time. That's right. Folks, all of this is not true except the part of eating out. I, I ate out last night. Okay. You're on a budget. That's right. We're on a strict, tight budget trying part, to save money. Part of that budget includes eating out. Yeah, and, and I ate out last night. Hashtag treat yourself. Treat yourself. All right. And so I, I ate out last night. I went to a burger place up in Denton, Denton, okay. Texas. D- D-Town? D-Town, as they say. It's no. the new Dallas. No, it's, we're, <laughs> no, we're, we it's not. No, it's We live in Dallas. We do. So I go to this restaurant, and it was really good. Cool vibes, I guess they say. Hashtag vibes? Hashtag vibes. I'm hashtag food today. I, I like that. Okay. <laughs> it was kind of like in the Denton Square. Good part of it. They you? have a – they. it's a cool place. There's like a rooftop you can get on. There's yeah, we were on too. a rooftop. Yeah, the coffee shop order. There's like a coffee oh, shop no, that I mean, serves chocolate milk on tap. I don't know if you are kidding. That. Yeah. We're, we're not sponsored by Denton. But <laughs> we should be. Denton. City listening. of Denton. Mayor of Denton. No, so we're at a burger place. I think it was called LSA. First off about this restaurant, they have a giant mural on the wall of The Last Supper. Mural, mural on the wall. Mural, mural on the wall okay. of The Last Supper. Jesus was there with a massive laugh. He's like laughing so hard. But all of the classic Jesus, (laughs) the other disciples were famous Texas country artists. (laughs) Right. It was so strange. Uh, It was sacrilegious. It was a little. I I felt weird. I was going to say it was the disciples with burgers in their hands. No. But it was just. It was just a lot different. There was like Willie Nelson and Uh, George Strait. She's not a disciple. No. Peter and and George Strait, I just feel like different vibes. They don't get along. Yeah. So anyway, we walked past that. I was like, that's weird. Burgers were good. Mozzarella fries fries were good. Ooh. Yeah, queso was also good. I mean, you're in Texas. So I, yeah, it, what do you expect? What are you going to call it, cheese dip? So but there, are, there are some people in the world that called queso cheese dip. We could completely shift this intro to that right now if I you mean, want. I mean, I can, it's queso. People. Short short segment on that. Give a little rant, Cooper. I mean, I've just met some people from the north, and northerners, we yeah. love you. Yeah, if we're you're not, from, and we're not mad at you. We're not mad at you. Yeah. Whether you're from New York, from Washington, mm. from Michigan. Yeah. Montana. Mm. I mean there are states that are up north that are good. I grew up in a north like a northern or Midwest uh, state. Yeah, midwest but you'd claim the South. I, I claim the South, but there were some people I grew up with who call it cheese dip. But it's just yeah. And the problem is is that it's just they just have melted cheese with like little peppers in it the best kind of queso's got meat in it yeah i mean if there's meat in the queso Without it's a doubt. good day yeah it's muy bien <laughs> so as the, the queso is muy bien but that's Sorry. not the, everything was good at this restaurant good Sorry, burgers that's not what our intro's is about yeah folks. no good fries good queso it was all queso so. it was all Quavo? it was all muy bien okay except for one thing that irks me Cooper. oh Zack. Let me know. So the waitress walks up to our table. And she's I like, hate you? when that happens. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and she says, are y'all ready to order? I said, yes, ma'am. And I sit Polite. there. Have you, you're very Southern. Yeah. As She doesn't have anything in her hand. I say, yes, ma'am, and we're ready. And I sit there and I look at her and she looks back at me and I wait for her to move. Yeah, right. You're like.
1: Because you're, you're typically, right. typically
0: right. the waitress or waiter takes out their paper and pen of and course. says, all right, honey, or you're like up first. Or like a weird, like hybrid phone keyboard thing <laughs> yeah. like they have in a studio movie girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pen. Yeah, the like stylus. A, like, just get an iPad. Yeah, you know, just like, do something else. But Chick Fil A uses that. This she lady, this lady does not do that. She just stares back at me. Uh huh. She doesn't even say, "All right, I'm ready." She just assumes she that just, I should know. She just power plays you. She power plays me. Oh no! And she gives me just the eyebrows of power and looks mm. into my were soul. They, were they? Real hair or drawn on eyebrows? I just don't remember. Okay. So feels like a minor detail. I I just assume that I need to just wait until she pulls it out. But so you're just in a standoff. Uh, yeah, we're in a standoff. I mean, you're For just watching, just <laughs> just like that. That's that on tumbleweeds or tumbleweeds. The, and we're staring walks through the saloon doors. You're like, I didn't even know you had saloon doors. Yeah, at this. I mean, Willie Nelson was there. so... <laughs> That's fair. But. Yeah, and so finally I just gave in. I lost the oh, standoff. Zach. And I said, "Hey, can I have a Georgie boy?" Bo- <laughs> uh, no. It was a Georgie boy burger. "Can I have a Georgie boy?" And she said, "Yep, and you?" And went to the next person. Oh, Man, how long was this before how long was it before you broke the silence? I, it was a good 15 seconds. Uh, 10 seconds. Okay. 10 to 15. That probably sounds short, but 10 seconds that's is a long It's long an eternity time to be staring into someone's soul yeah. with silence. And she took our whole order without writing anything down. And I'm not going to lie. That irks me. Dang. That is tough. I mean, people in the audience listening, you know that this has happened to you. Yeah. And you know that your fries have been left off mm-hmm. or you forgot. Mm-hmm. They forgot your lemon yeah. and your water. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. they just put ketchup on your burger that uh, you said, I'm highly allergic to ketchup. If I eat it, I'll die. That'll preach. I'm not allergic to ketchup. Person. I don't know if it's like a, you've been a waiter, waitress for a long time. I've gotten to this level where I can remember, or I yeah. have a photographic memory, but I'll just, if you're a waiter, waitress out there, I think you are a leader. You're a leader, leader. and I'm not mad at you, but you, you make me uncomfortable. When they do that, <laughs> when it, when so it happens, now full circle. Did she get the order right? Okay. <sighs> she nailed it. She got every, how many people were at the table? Four, four okay. people. See, this does change my opinion a little bit. I think if you nail it. It's fair, but you you had better nail it. Yeah. You get no grace. No. If you, like it was it was because your lack of willingness to write down this information. That's mm-hmm. that's why I'm now in an uncomfortable spot. And I have to now say, hey, there's no jalapenos right. on right. my burger. And being from the South, here's a flaw. This is this is really gonna ruffle some feathers, Zach. Mm-hmm. I think tipping, I think we do tipping wrong. Oh gosh, we're completely going off here. This is this is off script. But I just think I think it should be acceptable to not tip at times. Wow. If it, you do a bad job, you should not expect fifteen percent of what I paid for. Oh, of course if you did bad. Yeah. I just am like, if you want twenty percent of my tip, I want to be wowed. I yeah. think like hmm. they're making they're making money. It's not like Sonic where you're like they're literally uh skating to you with <laughs> yeah. drinks. They're only, that's like they only get tips. Yeah. But I'm just like I just think if, I've, if I'm if i sitting with an empty water cup for a while, that's on you. <laughs> it's like, not excellent. I, I'm i willing to go and get it myself, but I know that you would be upset. So here yeah. I sit, and sometimes I'll do – you never do the jostle your water. You do not. You do not done do that. I don't the table. Oh, As you my. waiters walking by, you just <laughs> oh, slurp the emptiness. That is strong. terrible. To just let them know. Yeah, so – There's been a lot of kind of bebopping around. I think our point was clear, but I've just also had a couple hot takes throughout. You did. Yeah. Sum it up. At the end of the day, if you're a waiter waitress, write it down. It just brings comfort to those you're serving. Always carry a pen. Always carry a pen. That's a good leadership lesson right right. And don't expect a huge tip if you did a bad job. If you did a bad job, know it. And here's the deal. I'm even willing to tell you. If you did a bad job, I'm willing to tell you why I didn't leave a good tip. Yeah, I I will write it on the back of the receipt. I don't do that, (laughs) but I'd be willing to. And last point of this intro, if you're from the North, it's queso, not cheese dip. Or queso. (laughs) Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. We're in a new studio today, Coop. Ooh, it, it, feels, it feels good. It feels nice. We're not in the apartment. We're actually at Common eating, Desk. Eating other Studio. Other Studio. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, that's, what I, that's what I meant. <laughs> we're rich. We're at Common Desk in downtown Dallas at the Trammell Crow real Center. Down. The real D-Town. The real D-Town. Yes. Downtown Dallas. I want to tell you a little bit about Common Desk and what they have going here. And they, here's the deal, folks. This is going to sound like an ad, and it's because we're using their space for free today. That's right. And so we, we thought we'd shout them out. We, we, we need to shout them out. If you are an entrepreneur, if you're a businessman and you're looking for a place to do your business and you're not looking for a big office, you're not looking for a building, you're just looking for a place to house your things, look no further. Common desk. In common desk. And here's, here's the real kicker, folks. That's all, like, that's good. That's, like, the generic stuff. Here's what you need to know. Yeah. We are in a room. hmm And the door is a bookshelf, yeah. folks. We are in a secret room. Nobody mm. even knows we're here. Yeah. And we walk through. You pull the, the bookshelf open. And the door leads you into this little cubby room. And we're in that room right now. And it is amazing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I keep looking around expecting a foot massage. There's not (laughs) one, but that's the only thing missing. I mean, they have nap rooms. They have literal nap rooms. No way. Listen to this. You can buy a $25 day pass if you're a student, if you're a business, you want to just come check it out. See what they have here at the Trammell Crow Center in downtown Dallas, or you can buy an office space. I mean, you're really selling this. I'm trying. Hey, your wife works. She does, and she loves it. You would say there's a hot receptionist, in- <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't you? I wouldn't say. <laughs> I would. Of of course, I, would say, I would say that. And she also makes some pretty good coffee that you can get if you come work out of Common Desk Dallas. Also located in Houston, also located in Austin, Wilmington, North Carolina. Carolina. I if mean, you, if we have any listeners in Wilmington, North Carolina, you can get is this that, membership today. Is that today. technically the North? Would they call it cheese dip? I don't Do know. they serve cheese dip there? Gosh, I hope it's so quite many so, questions. So many questions for you out in Wilmington. But... Try out Common Desk if you need a place to study. You need a place to work. Common Desk downtown Dallas. Speaking of Common Desk, someone that works out of Common Desk is our guest today. I mean, it's almost like it was written in the stars. Books. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. This is Trey Bowles because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass. No travels. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, people. Trey Bowles, and that's his theme song. <laughs> Trey on his LinkedIn right now, it says he's the co-founder and president at Inno City Partners LLC. I mean, that just sounds cool. Sounds cool, but here's the deal. He's a serial entrepreneur. Okay. That is what he does. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't know where you were going. You said cereal, and I didn't think you were going to talk about the the, the, the breakfast. That's you know right. I mean? He's a cereal entrepreneur, and he started many businesses over his time, and that's what we talked about, the heart of entrepreneurship. Because I think a lot of leaders, and especially in the time we're in right now, some people, some of you have lost your job, you're pivoting in your career, you're yep. finding a new way to go, because that's what great leaders do. Yep. And and you have to figure out what it means to be an innovative entrepreneur. And so that's what we talked to Trey Bowles about today. There, he said there's three three qualities of an entrepreneur. They're courageous, they're persistent, and they're just a little bit crazy. Mm, And then they get it done. That's right. CPC folks. And they get it done. And, And Trey's a great guy to learn from. He has a lot of great insights on what it looks like to start a business, to keep it going and to get people involved in your mission. And, uh, and create a thriving business that works out of Common Desk yes. in downtown Dallas. And I'm sure he knows about this room that we're in. I'm sure he does. He probably spends a lot of time He here. probably has. I'm surprised he's not here right now. I'm not. Except I'm not for we, did, we also something. didn't interview him here. Either. Yeah, that's true. That's right. But, I mean, let's just get on the interview, Coop. Let's do it. Here we go. Without any further ado, here he is, Trey Bowles. Well, Trey, thank you so much for being on and letting me ask you a few questions just about leadership and about entrepreneurship. And I'm excited for our conversation. But I want you to start by just introducing yourself. Who are you? Kind of how do you get into the entrepreneurship space? And what are you doing in Dallas right now?
1: Yeah, well, Zach, thanks for having me. This is exciting to, to get to talk. I think that your your uh, approach of trying to learn um, from other people is uh, is a valiant one. I, uh, I st- To to this day still try to learn from every person i talk to and so that 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 idea of never stop never stopping to learn is so important and recognizing that we all have different perspectives we all have different um, mindsets we all have a different set of experiences and then the idea that we can learn from each other is really really um, important and helpful and humble and the reality is that I can't say that at your age I was quite as humble as you were. I'm, I'm sure I thought I knew way more than I did, and and it's not until you get a little bit older that you realize, gosh, I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did. But um, so so my background is uh, as an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur my whole career. It started when I was in college. Um, I I started uh, at one school in Alabama called Sanford, where I went to go play football, and then I transferred to Baylor in Texas, where I uh, where I. Graduated, um, but started in the dot com space during that time in college for for a friend who um, was building a business and needed some help. And so it, it was about six months into that process that I that I built my first business as a subset of his business, and and then probably about by the third time I I, I was running, building, and running a company. Excuse me. I um I kind of was like, oh, I, I think I'm an entrepreneur. And then know. from then on. I basically uh, really found different things that I liked and figured, and then I'd figure out how to go build a business around it. And I'd do that. And I found different cities that I wanted to live in. I lived in places like Dallas, uh, Waco, Birmingham, Nashville, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, DC, Oklahoma City, um, a bunch of different places. Gosh, all the big ones. There you go. <laughs> all the big ones. Um, and um, And then in the same sense, I found a bunch of different. Or, uh, verticals that I wanted to build companies in. And I built stuff in media and tech. Um, I built a company called Morpheus, which is the fastest, fastest uh, internet company, uh, fastest growing company in the history of the internet. We had about 100 million customers in the first 11 months, um, and then did stuff in uh, music, did stuff with film, and did stuff with television. Did stuff with um, retail. Um, and and investment banking, just a bunch of different things. I sort of just would say, Hey, that's really interesting to me. I'm going to go figure out how to do that. Um, and then that culminated in the last decade in building an entrepreneurship department at SMU and four different nonprofits. So, um, I'm a, what they like to call serial entrepreneur or, um, an extremely unfocused person, whichever you (laughs) want to look at it. But, um, so I moved back to Dallas in 2010 or 2008. Where I took over and I turned around a company and we sold it. And then at that point got married um, and uh, decided that having lived in all these cities and done all these different things, that there was no city that had more opportunity and more potential than Dallas. And so I decided I was going to live in Dallas for the rest of my life, unless the Lord took us somewhere else. And, um, and if I was going to do that, I wanted to help Dallas be the best city it possibly can be in and help entrepreneurs any way we can. So that's, what's brought me back here. and. Um, hopefully we'll be here for for a long time to, in the future
0: well there you go and you pretty much just explained why you're on or why you're qualified to, to do and speak on this sort of subject being having your hand in so many fields and, and being as you self-proclaimed I guess the serial entrepreneur that you are uh, that you know what you're talking about and you've built a lot of great things um, but first I want to ask a question before we get into kind of the, the nitty-gritty if you will but how do you know when an idea is worth a jumping for? Uh, you have a business idea and you don't know if it's going to be what you think it's going to be. Obviously, you never really know uh, what it could be. But how do you know when to jump?
1: So I have a process that I personally go through um, where, um, and I actually developed this and launched this through SMU at something called the Idea Festival in Dallas, which I don't think we have anymore, but we did for a few years, and it's called the Idea Action Measure. Um, document and basically, what I do is I go through a series of questions that ask myself: Is this a good idea? And and really um, prove, give me an opportunity to prove that it's not going to work, that it's not an idea that's going to work. And then once I get through all the reasons why something's not going to work and why I can't make sure that it's going to fail, I start to look at all the reasons that it could work, and then. I go through the process of what I call it's a, the fancy word is feasibility analysis. The real world word I look at is sort of the customer development process and and figuring out is my idea a business or is it just a cool idea? Yeah. Um, and I validate that through customer development, whether that be quantitative or qualitative. I I talk to um, I talk to potential customers. I talk to market people. I understand the competitive landscape. I try to. I try to reasonably develop a differentiator for what makes me different than somebody else's. Um, the way I sort of equate that in an analogy is I call it jumping into entrepreneurship as opposed to diving in. Mm-hmm. So if you view entrepreneurship sort of as a pond, right? Yeah. Um, most people think, all right, if I'm going to be a real entrepreneur, I need to empty out my 401k and all my savings and I, need to get, I just need to dive head first into this because unless i'm willing to give my all i'm never going to be successful my argument is look you do need to jump in and you do need to take that 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 plunge but it's okay to walk over to that that pond and look inside and see if you can see if there's anything in there right? Yep. Um, and if so, can you see the bottom? Can you, And if you jump in, is there a way to get out? So jumping into entrepreneurship is really leveraging that feasibility analysis process that I'm talking about mm-hmm. to decrease the likelihood that I'm jumping into something that, that I can't get out after to jumping into something that doesn't work. Because you're talking about a scenario or a market opportunity that 90% of the people who do it, 90% of the businesses that start don't end up working. Yep. And so it's, a, it's a pretty large um, probability that doesn't work. And so it's, even if you've done this a bunch of times before, um, you, you really have to begin to understand and look at whether or not there's something there, there. And if there's not, it's okay. You need to get out of it and not do it and move on to the next idea. But that's all, that's a lot of the way I've, personally approach it.
0: Yeah. And realizing that it is okay for it to fail and that it's not the end of the world and that there's other ideas, but that kind of leads into the first point of this three qualities of an entrepreneur that you wrote about a few years ago in an article. The first being that they're courageous. The entrepreneurs have to have some sort of courage to get them out, even truly even to look into the pond that you were talking about, Mm -hmm. but even further to take the leap. So what does it take to be an entrepreneur in the courageousness uh, spectrum or sphere? Uh, What do you see? entrepreneurs in the realm of
1: courage? Well, so first, what people have to recognize is, is when, you, when you have a business idea or a concept that you want to you want to pursue, um, that, it takes a lot to put that together, a lot of incubating, a lot of development, a lot of work and time and effort. And so really what you're creating here is a baby, right? This is your baby that you're bringing out. And, and now we want you to bring that baby out to the world and show it to people. Right. right. And, and so that takes a massive amount of courage, an amount of courage to put all of who you are and all of what you think and believe into something and then put that out there and let the world look at it. I always tell entrepreneurs, I said, you're worried. You need to be out there selling your product or service. Why are you not doing that? And the reality is they're worried that they're going to show somebody their baby and, and they're, they're, somebody's somebody's going to think their baby's ugly. Well, I, I, I solved that problem for them immediately. I said, that's easy lots of people are going to think your baby's ugly. So just take that off the table. If that's a worry of yours, don't be worried about it because it's going to happen. Your job is to find people who think your baby's cute who think this is something that is valuable, that can add to their life, that can change the way they do something to to, to, to change a market. And so the courage it takes to put yourself forth and do that, the courage that it takes to potentially fail at something, you mentioned a minute ago, I don't think when your company doesn't work, it's failure. I think it's education. I think it's a process. I think it's expected, right? When I said before, 90% of your businesses fail, aren't going to work. If you make, if you build a business that works, that's Weird. That's the opposite. That the yeah. that's the exception, not the rule. So that courage peace is important that we that we make people feel welcome. Um, to step forward and take that step, to step forward and give their idea and put their idea out there, to step forward and, and show acceptance, appreciation, understanding. And what I what I think good entrepreneurs do, experienced entrepreneurs, when they're around new entrepreneurs, is they treat them like what they are, which is an entrepreneur. And that doesn't mean that their idea is any worse or any, any less than yours. What we can do as entrepreneurs is pull those courageous people around us and help um, encourage support them, reinforce that we're, what, what they're doing is good, re- help them recognize that um, if the worst thing that can happen to you, the worst thing that can happen to you is that your business idea doesn't work and you can get okay with that, you have nothing to lose. Mm. Go out and try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Go yep. back and get a job, do something else. But that courage piece is one that is really hard because it is such a measurement of You feel it's such a measurement of you personally, of your character, of your ability to work hard, of your mindset, your intellectual ability. And the reality is we just make it so much bigger than it actually is. It's an idea for a business that's going to work or not work, but that courage, the courage, um, and courageousness is, is one of the things I love most about entrepreneurs because I can empathize with it, um, and it's a, it's such a huge cliff or step that somebody's got to step off of in order to get to the next level. Yeah, which is the perseverance, but that first piece uh is really really important. So do you think what holds most people back in this uh part of entrepreneurship is
0: what other people are going to think of, the, of of the business.
1: Um no, I think the number thing number one thing that holds people back is that they have no idea what it really means to work to be an entrepreneur. I think um I think people th- people believe they know what hard work is. But when you talk about building a startup, it's a level of commitment and work that far surpasses anything that you'd ever imagine. And Mm -hmm. so when people think, hey, it's hard work, you you sure you want to do this? Based upon people's current knowledge of hard work, yeah, sure they could do that. But, but, But when you build a company, it seeps into every aspect of who you are. It seeps in, I mean, I was telling somebody a couple of years ago on a podcast, they were like, so what do you do for hobby? And I was like, ah, what do you mean hobby yeah. at work? That's my hobby. And, and so I've, I've intentionally tried to go out and, and create hobbies because I think it's so unhealthy yeah. to not have them. But everything that you do is concerned. I mean, I, I, uh, at, when, I, when I started the deck, I, we had like 11 locations, 13 locations. And if something happened in the middle of the night, I was getting the call. Right, right? There was a leak in the building. I had to go down and fix it. Something didn't get done right. The trash didn't get taken out. I had to go down and do that. It seeps into every element of who you are, and so I think, um, I think first and foremost, people uh, don't don't do startups or don't don't find success in them because they didn't recognize what they were signing up for. I think second of all, it is it does matter to us what people think, especially because entrepreneurs tend to be somewhat ego driven. You have to be a little bit ego driven to to be crazy enough to think you can go out and do something like this. We'll get to that point later. But, but we believe that we can change the way something's done. We believe that we're going to build something that that other people are going to adopt into their world amongst all of the noise that's already there. And they're going to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to spend money on that too. Or I'm going to take something out of my world and spend money on that now in lieu of something else. I mean, there's, it's a hard thing. And so to, to, to go in and build something like that and then have people tell you, well, I don't think that makes sense, or I'm not going to buy that, or that's not a good product. It's really, it's really, it's really difficult. So, I, so I think to your point, there's there's a couple elements of that. Um, but the first one is that people just don't have any idea what they're getting into, um, and they don't. They also don't know what they don't know. I mean, that's the hard part. Is that entrepreneurship is an intellectual? It's not an intellectual thing. It's an experiential thing. And so when you are um, getting involved in something like this, it's not about how smart you are. It's about how quickly you can learn from your mistakes or how quickly you can surround yourself with people who have told you what mistakes to avoid yeah. and, and listen and learn from that. And so there's, and so when you don't know what you don't know, you're stepping into a place that's really, really difficult because how do you know what you should, what you should do or what you shouldn't do? Yeah. Um, and so you're adding lack of experience to lack of knowledge to insecurity to um to the fact that many of these fail and those tend to build up a pretty giant wall against entrepreneurs from making it Um, but and i'll finish my point with this in the end building a company is pretty simple it's not easy but it's simple Um, you have to build a product or service you have to sell the product or service and you have to service your customer base right if you do that it works now that process isn't easy to do, but the concept is simple. And so I don't want to deter people from being entrepreneurs or trying to do this. In fact, I would encourage everybody to try to do this. I would just encourage everybody to do it with a sober mind around what's feasible, what's not feasible, and realistically what the commitment is if you want to build um, a company or build a lifestyle as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. And you you mentioned it seeping into every part of your life. And that kind of leads into point two is that entrepreneurs, one, they have to be courageous enough to jump in the pond. But once you make the jump, you have to persist. You have to persevere. You have to keep going and you, you, I mean, at some point if your idea fails, it's okay, but you, that's when you keep going and you do persevere. But even when the days are hard, when you're getting the calls at midnight and you got to go fix something, you have to persist. So do you have any personal examples where this has happened in your, uh, space or in your career? And then what does it mean or look like for an entrepreneur to persist through difficult days?
1: So yes, absolutely. Every business I've ever built for profit, nonprofit, I've had to persevere. Yeah. Um, because persistence is so so important, and the reality is, building and building a startup is like a roller coaster, or like the podcast that, that Nick Kennedy and I have called Switchbacks. It's a constant set of switchbacks, back and forth, and pivots, and up and down, and back and all around. Because you just it's it's constantly changing. You have so little control over the overall market opportunity and overall market forces that you're constantly going there. And so what I tend to tell entrepreneurs to do is um, you're living in a place where the highs are so high. They're higher than you've ever been emotionally to have a big win in building a business. On the other side, the lows are so low, they're devastating, right? And they can send you into a total tailspin of despair. So what I try to do is stay at at an even seven, right? And so I'm not going to let the, the bad things pull me down too low, and I'm not going to let the, the good things pull me out of reality to too high to think, oh my gosh, we've, we've got to win, we got a customer, we're going to change the world. But keep that, that same positive approach of a, of a seven, recognizing that honestly, especially as a startup, there are more days I come home where bad, more bad things happen than good things. Mm. Um, but like playing golf, you go out there, you hit one good shot, you get one birdie on a hole and you're like, I want to go back again. Yeah. And so, and so what, what we try to do there in terms of persevering is just, is and being persistent is just recognizing it's a, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint, yeah. but Different than most people, they use that it's a mar- it's a marathon, not a sprint. But you're sprinting the whole time, yeah. especially as a startup. And so, um, and so, recognizing that good things are going to happen and bad things are going to happen, but you can't let yourself be determined by one instance or one major loss. Or you know, I tell I tell um, startups all the time that are out pitching their idea. Look, if you have three or four calls in the morning and you get three or four no's, stop for the day. Like that's that doesn't mean your company's not going to work. It just means you're, you're heading in the wrong direction today. So let's stop and let's refocus our time on developing more of a pipeline or yeah. looking at who I'm going to call, but like recognize where you are and that persistence is that people that once they're courageous enough to step off that cliff, um, can't just throw away throw, you know, throw on the towel anytime something does not go their way. And there is a point at which you realize, okay, I'm no longer, I'm, I'm now spending good time after bad time and this is not going to work. And that's a realistic place that we have to get some of us. But in the meantime, just keep going. Entrepreneurs that have seen the big successes, especially their early successes would say, if they're honest, it all comes down to some form of luck. Yeah. Um, or providence if you will but what i tell people is that luck happens it doesn't happen like a billion dollars falling out of the sky and it doesn't happen if you're um, if you're not immersing yourself in that market and trying to meet the right customers and the right partners but inevitably if you're if you work hard enough and long enough in that space something gives, some opportunity comes through that you're not really ready for, you don't really deserve, but you leverage that and you take that to the next level. And those sort of inflection points, which can be something as simple as legally structuring your company and launching it, or actually releasing a product to market, or hitting your first revenue customer or your first profitability, all that stuff builds and builds and builds and you, and you pull those things together to help continue to keep you moving on your way recognizing that in the end you're going to get there it just takes time and just takes effort and just takes persistence and perseverance and so that's that's what i tell a lot of entrepreneurs and what i love about a lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs because they say yes when everybody else says no right and they see something or they believe in something that somebody else doesn't believe in it. wow. and it's that amazing majestic absurd optimism that gets that makes entrepreneurs some entrepreneurs where they are mm. and accomplish the things that we never thought was possible right. because they just didn't give up.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's so important. And one of the quotes that you used in the article, you said entrepreneurs remember why they pursued this idea in the first place. When everyone said no, there was a reason that they said yes. And it could be the fact that they're a serial entrepreneur and they keep going. and They say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. They saw something in that idea that they said yes to that. So talk about the importance of remembering why you started in
1: the first place. Well, there's obviously a reason that you probably went in and, and quit your job and quit any sort of reliability on, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, repetitive payment or, or money that you could rely on or any sort of, uh, any dependability, like you went out and for went that you went out and said, look, I'm going to put myself on the line here. When um, most people aren't going to believe this is going to work when 90% of the people that do this fail and you've got to come back to that and you've got to come back to the fact that you have to have done that feasibility analysis early on. You no. have to have spent the time to really understand that there's a market. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and even inside of that, as a subset, there's behavioral, uh, market research and, um, and, um, like qualitative and quantitative research i always tell people if i'm going to sell you this phone and, and i say hey look what would you pay for this phone would you pay five dollars for this phone you pay ten dollars for this phone you may say i'd pay ten dollars for it and then i urge entrepreneurs to then say okay Give me $10. Like you may say you'd pay $10 for it, but when I actually ask you to take the money out of your pocket, you might just pay five. And so that behavioral piece has got to be an important element of what you're looking at. But you've got to go back to that and you've got to realize that that came from somewhere and that you put the time and effort in the beginning to recognize there was a market opportunity. Mm -hmm. And unless you were grossly mistaken there, the, the market opportunity exists. I'm just searching for people who think my baby's cute. And I got to get better at that every day and every time. And the more I do that and the better I do that. And the more I learn from mistakes I make and not make the same mistakes again. I encourage entrepreneurs all the time. And I do this with my boards. I come into my boards every quarter and I say, here's three mistakes I made that I'm not going to make again. Because the reality is it is ignorant of me to pretend to my board, like I'm not making mistakes because I'm making mistakes. But if I acknowledge and recognize what those are, then at least they know I'm getting better. At least they know I'm seeing those mistakes. And a lot of times they can come back to me and say, hey, I've actually been through that let me give you some suggestions on how to handle that or how to respond or how to react. Those things are so important. It's not about who's smarter. It's not about who's, um, you know, went to the better school. It's about who can learn from their mistakes the quickest mm-hmm. and not do them again. Yeah. Cause I'm still going to make mistakes every day. just, mm-hmm. It's the way it is. Hopefully I'm not making the same mistakes I did when I was 20. Right. Um, Uh,
0: Yeah. I love I love the idea of coming into your board and saying, here's three mistakes I made and I won't make them again. I think that's, uh, that's so it's one, it's humble and people respond to that well. And two, it does see, let them know that you're growing and it uh, it applies feedback as well.
1: And why do you have a board? Like people, do I have a board so they can uh, affirm how smart or great (laughs) I am? No, I have an I have a board hopefully that I' have amassed of people who are more experienced than me, more knowledge than me, more connected than me that can come in and help me when I'm not able to get the job done or participate and have ownership in where the company's trying to go and so if I'm not leveraging or calling or commanding the board to play that role, then I'm wasting their time and I'm wasting my time with them being there and yeah. so it's important for your board to know that you're doing good because you know they, they can't fire you. But 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 more important for them to understand how they can add value and where they can play a pivotal role because they're there because they want to do that. And yeah. in most cases, we as CEOs spend our time trying to explain to our board why we're so great and why we're crushing it. And that's awesome. But they can read that in a presentation. Right. What they really need to hear is where you need help. And they need it to, they need to know now because a lot of times we make mistakes by not telling a board what's coming down the pipe because we don't really want them to know. And then by the time we get to the place where we involve them, it's too late and they can't do anything about it. Yeah. And they say, why didn't you tell me about this quarter ago? Why didn't you tell me this six months ago when you thought this might happen? Because their job isn't to criticize you and tell you why you stink. Their job is to help you fix the problem. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, that's amazing. I, I, I just love that idea. And they can also tell if you're doing a good job by the results that you're pulling in anyway, just let the results speak for yourself. Uh, that's so good. So we know that they have, uh, entrepreneurs have to be courageous. They have to persist. And then last but not least, they have to be a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And you say it's the little bit of crazy that separates the normal people from the remarkable entrepreneurs and innovators that help industries grow. So, what is what does crazy mean i think everybody has a different idea of yeah. what crazy means but what does it look like to be a like a crazy entrepreneur
1: well and and i said, i mentioned this before but it's really true you have to be crazy to think that you can go out and make 10 out of 100 ideas work right. that you're going to be one of the 10 right you've got to be crazy to think that you can create something and change something the way that something's done you've got to be crazy to think that you can go out and create a new opportunity or a new scenario where we're gonna ask people to spend their money, businesses or consumers, in a way that they're not currently doing it. You have to change behaviors, you have to change market um, factors, you have to change all these different things. Only somebody crazy would do that, right? Smart people would go and keep their job and get their paycheck and be, and contribute at that level and do all those sorts of things. You right. have to be crazy to go do something that's going to seep into all elements of your life and, yeah. and take up all your free time and all your, um, all your hobby time and stuff like that. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be a little bit crazy to say yes when everybody else says no right? You've got to be crazy to believe that you can take and create and revolutionize the personalized computer market like Steve Jobs did. Yeah, You've got to be crazy to think that you can develop a network um, infrastructure or social network that was going to Surpass what MySpace did and Friendster did, so those, and which, which Mark Zuckerberg did with, with Facebook. You gotta be crazy to think that you can get somebody to communicate in 140 characters. That's crazy, right? Yeah. But it's happening and it's changing, and that's what makes entrepreneurs a little bit crazy. You've got to be able to have a thick skin for the people who are gonna say your baby's ugly. You've yeah. got to be able to continue to persevere when everybody else tells you your ideas are going to work. You've got to be a little bit crazy to go out and continue to do something like this time and time and time again mm. when at the end of the day, more bad things happen than good. Than good. Right. But what I can also tell you is that even though more bad things happen than good doesn't mean you can't be successful. doesn't mean you can't exit a business. It just means you got to minimize the impact of those bad things. Yeah, you've got to minimize the 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 role that plays in your in your business and on your and on your um, and on your psyche, and then come back and be that crazy entrepreneur that's able to make something happen that changes uh, the way that you that you work and your team works and the impact that you're trying to create.
0: And you you hear a lot of those stories of the Steve Jobs, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the the Elon Musk type people that are a little bit crazy and that they, they just, I feel like they just view the world differently Mm -hmm. to you. Do you have any of those type of entrepreneurs that really are inspirations for you? Who do you kind of look toward uh,
1: for that? Well, I mean, I look, I look toward um, lots of different entrepreneurs. I I don't particularly associate myself with a Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. That's not, that's not really my approach, but um, I look at entrepreneurs that I think do a great job of, being able to maintain a life inside of the world of entrepreneurship. Mm. Men and women who are able to have families and prioritize those families. Men and women who have uh, the ability to prioritize their faith and their staff and their teams and things like that. And so I look at people like Nick Kennedy who started and sold uh, Rise Air. Mm. I look at people like Eddie Badrina and Cameron Golly who built BuzzShift. Now Eddie, who's now at Eden Green. I look at people like, rob peabody at vomo i look at people like um um rogers healy who's a realtor in town i mean i look at people like um yasmine tadia who's got make life sweeter which is this awesome um initiative that's going on and, and that actually has a physical presence in the galleria and um one of my great friends a woman named karen um uh uh, sorry, Kara Golden, um, who created something called Hint Water. And she revolutionized the way um, people think about water and drink water and maintain that. Um, and and uh, she is an exceptional entrepreneur and somebody that I look to and learn from all the time. So there are people out there that do that and do that well and prove that you can have success as an entrepreneur, not at the cost or expense of your family, your personal life, your hobbies, those are my heroes. Because I think that that is what we like to think of when we think of balance. And if your life doesn't have balance, it's just not going to be happy. And no matter how much money you make, no matter how many companies you sell, no matter how many you know businesses you, um, you launch, it's got to have some sort of um, balance to it. Otherwise, it just doesn't involve joy, happiness, or contentment.
0: Mm. And that's such a good way to kind of just land the plane too, is that there's so much more to life than the business that you're, that if people think your baby is cute mm-hmm. and that that will bring so much and you can do so much good for so many people. But at the end of the day, it's how do you provide balance to your faith, your work, your family, and being able to be present in all of those places. I, I think that's so important. And it's also so overlooked by, the people who have done great things, but you don't realize that they have forfeited and sacrificed things along the way. But Trey, one more question I want to ask you just before uh, we go that we love asking all of our, our leaders that we get to interview is just what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? If you were to look back, uh, what would you tell 20 year old Trey
1: Bowles? Well, um, I, I would tell myself um, a couple of things. Um, and, and granted it's, it's, it's all, this is for me personally based on where I stand and what my worldview is and, and where I come from. Of course, when I was 20. My goal was to be a millionaire by the time I was 30, I wanted to have a million dollars. And I thought, man, if I do that, then then I'm successful. Not, not, not that that's where I put all my significance and sufficiency, but that's successful. Um, And the reality was, I learned a couple things in my early twenties, um, was one, a million dollars. Isn't that much money? I'm not suggesting it's not a lot of money, but I thought if I had a million dollars, I'd retire and live on an Island for the rest of my life. I didn't realize, I didn't realize money. Um, but what, what I would tell myself is remember that you cannot control the outcome of anything you can do. You can only control your contribution to the process. Mm. And so do your best At contributing to the process, whatever that process may be, working for somebody else, um, building a company, going to school, whatever the case may be, and recognize that the wins and the value and the happiness and the contentment and the growth happen in that process not in exiting a company or shutting a company down or or getting your picture in a magazine or quoted in an article that doesn't bring fulfillment but if you can contribute to the everyday and that part of the process and find contentment and happiness in that then the i've had companies i've built that should have exited for Huge amounts of money. that didn't, and other companies that should have failed. That actually, had, that we had an accident, um, and 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 I couldn't control either of those things. But what I did was, I have enjoyed the learning and the process, and the and the sharpening and the experiences that I've got at every level, which makes an extremely rich life where you learn something from every person that you meet and you learn something from every circumstance and that you get. And ultimately too, I, you don't have any failures. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, what's your biggest failure? And I was like, well, I've never let really a company fail. And I was back looking in um, some files. Um, and it was, it was basically some deck files I was looking at. And I was looking through all these things. And there were like 40 different initiatives that we had done that we didn't do again. And it, Dawned on me; those are failures. Never did they cross my mind as failures. They just crossed my mind as, well, that didn't work, so let's try something else. Right. And so it—it's all that perspective that you have in the way that you look at things. And and if I would, and I would have told my twenty-year-old self what I learned myself at probably twenty-two, mm-hmm. which was that con- contribution to the process—you can't control where anything ends out. Spinning your wheels, spinning your time, worrying about salaries or success stories or exits or whatever the case may be is frivolous and futile and you can't you know have any role in determining that um but what you can control is how you approach every day and that's what i would tell my 20 year old self and he probably would tell me you know this wasn't good enough answer for him (laughs) um,
0: i'll tell you it was a good enough answer it was great okay Uh, I love it. The, the, the idea that you can't always control the outcome, uh, but you can control your contribution, I think is so, I mean, it's, it's earth shattering at someone at this is at my age, whenever you're looking at the world with so much ambition and you have so many ideas and you think that if I do this, I'm going to get this, but it's, that's not always the case, but you can control what you can control is your attitude about things, how hard you work and, and, um, I mean, the people you meet and what you do with those opportunities. But uh, thank you for those those nuggets of truth, Trey. I love talking to you.
1: Uh, It meant more than you know. Absolutely. Glad, Glad to participate. Thanks for having me on.